listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Edie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, as always, fact-checking and giving us a running commentary on who the odds-on favourite is over at Sportsbet. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, this week, though, we do have... I broke my leg! I'm dead! (laughs) Oh, no! No, no, let's be serious, though. Let's be serious. Yeah, no, we've we've got some unfortunate um, uh, news to start this week. Um, You may have heard that beloved racing icon and um, horse racing luminary Anthony Van Dyke recently passed away. Um, You probably have heard his name bandied about, especially if you're not in the horse uh, racing industry, you would have heard of him recently. He was a massive figure. Um, He he held, held a lot of records. <laughs> he was also a fucking horse given a human name for some reason. So we don't care. <laughs> a horse died. Uh, that's a Tuesday, apparently. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, McLean is... A, like, McLean, you're going to go off on this uh, article that you found, and I think you should, but just let's reflect on like all of the insane weird names that horses get, and for some reason they went with Anthony Van Dyke. <laughs> I, as a... As a lifelong troll myself, <laughs> love how just crazy horse names get. I'm j- j- earnestly my favourite part of the Melbourne Cup is how ridiculous the names that they pull up are. And let's be real, if we weren't talking about his death, uh, Anthony Van Dyke is is a pretty funny name for a horse. Calling <laughs> it just like a real person's name, but it means that the death coverage is really strange <laughs> because. Just, yeah, all the headlines about, like, this news.com.au article uh, reporting, the Melbourne Cup has been rocked by Anthony Van Dyke's death <laughs> after the horse broke down during the race that stops the nation. Always just, like, a bit of a twist. It's a horse. They had to put horse in the headline. Uh, they're like, you're going to have to put horse in there. Everyone will think it's a person. <laughs> <laughs> this this article just blew my mind, though. Like, one, saying the Melbourne Cup has been rocked by Anthony Van Dyke's Nobody's surprised. Like, no. we say we didn't get... we. It's sad that a horse died, but it's it's ridiculous that people were surprised that a horse died because a horse dies every single year for the last decade except 2016. Like, come on, <laughs> it's not a surprise. It's 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 rocked. If you mean rocked in the sense of like to sleep like a baby, you know, like it's, it's so predictable. Because like, <laughs> what's what's the stat? A horse dies every three days in Australian racing. Uh, yeah, it's it's like a hundred and something horses a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 not an unusual event. So many horses. Yeah. It evens out to one every three days. It's not like they've got a quota. Like, they're not just <laughs> picking horses. But we wouldn't be surprised. Uh, let's not forget, guys, there was some real, like, stoic behaviour this uh, on this Tuesday as well. Um, let's not forget everyone who stayed at home and didn't go to the Melbourne Cup, who were there, usually there to dress up and meet all their friends and get really drunk and gacked. And <laughs> and we it, it was really it was so important that we acknowledge these people that there was a great feature in the age which interviewed a bunch of these people and uh, just getting to know what their plans were and this is okay I have to read this out because it's my favorite line that's appeared in like a Melbourne Cup related article rather than shelve all her outfits until 2021. Mm. Um, this lady, she planned to stoically wear one of her new outfits with one of the with with a hat from a, a new collection by a milliner who does all this work for the Melbourne Cup. So it was very stoic. She stoically stayed at home. Decided to just wear the hat otherwise. And stoically ate her Neil Perry designed uh, breakfast of chocolate dipped strawberries and champagne. 
So, salute to her. <laughs> what a fucking hero. And she went out to the country and she stoically killed her own horse. <laughs> um, <laughs> but how many outfits was she planning to wear? It's one day. It's it's a, it's a serious thing where they have like like three different outfits that they change into like when they go to the when they go to the birdcage, when they see the horse. Uh, there's a funeral do a vom on themselves. There's a funeral outfit for when they have to kill the horse. Um, <laughs> it's a fascinator with a veil over it. <laughs> there's always a- a big line for the change rooms because they use the same curtain to mask the horse. <laughs> <laughs> We're really hammering this point. I also like that every single one of us thought of the same joke when you mentioned that she'd be shelving something for this year's racing day. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> Stoically remaining quiet, not uh, thinking of that joke. And, and just the other great thing that one of these people said was like, it's great that the fashions on your front lawn has gone virtual. So I still had the creative outlet, but it's the social part of racing that I've been missing. Literally, go to the park. Yeah, right? go to any Sad other loser. <laughs> go you to can the get park. Drunk in a pretty dress and get on a train and be obnoxious like any day. <laughs> that's the that's the the lifestyles of the of the wealthy and uh, the sort of high socialites where they're like, "Hey, do you guys want to hang out this afternoon?" And just immediately getting roasted, being like, oh, <laughs> "I didn't realize it was the first Tuesday in November. <laughs> hang out this afternoon." <laughs> like, do you, de- do you demand a blood sacrifice for your revelry to be complete? Well, this is the thing that I noticed. Um, we were talking about it in one of our chats that we're in but the like all these articles coming up about like oh how many friends will survive and and what friendships that were forged through lockdown won't be here at the end of it and blah 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 and it's like that's just gig friends like people don't like un- like there's a <laughs> difference between the friends that you actually have and then just the people that you see at like uh, at the metal Work gig or the sports event that you only see there and you like them and you hang out with them there but you would never fucking hang out with them outside of that event these rich people are telling on themselves that's the only fucking friendships that they have. They've never had a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Imagine the only friends that you have are the ones that you snort a line with in the in the, to- the, in the toilets of the Melbourne the Cup. competition between friends in that instance. Ah, oh, couldn't oh. handle it. Uh, if, if you're feeling like we're being a little bit insensitive about the, the death of this poor horse, uh, then consider that the news.com.au article that is about <laughs> the death of Anthony Van Dyke closes with this Somber line. A twilight payment was a big mover in the betting market, shortening from $41 to $21 before settling at 26 making those who backed him extremely happy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even say, like, backed him extremely happy, RIP Anthony Van Dyke. The article's about that. No, it just closes on the odds. Good news still. Incredible. All the other horses. <laughs> election news this week massive gosh we were all sitting here just like madly refreshing the results pages as everything slowly trickled in because it's all done postal now and so it takes forever to count but the news is in and the news is great the victorian local government election results are mostly in and there has been a lefty landslide yeah it's been hell yeah it's been really fucking cool and i mean <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to admit that I haven't actually been keeping up with Victorian local council elections before now. Um, but <laughs> turns out that there were a fair few libertarian and right wing councillors uh, sitting in councils all over Melbourne, which is sort of weird. And this election, they've been absolutely fucking booted. Greens have had a massive. Massive wins all over the board to the point where just the best result the Greens have ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In local in local council stuff to the point like Yarra 
has now become the first majority Greens council in Victoria. There's five of them on the council and and, and two... Oh, Isaac's telling me, incl- it, it's in Australia, the first majority Greens council in, in, in Australia. Because if it's the yeah. first one in Victoria, we're already the greenest place. Actually, that's Australia. probably a good point. Yeah, yeah it, wasn't, it wasn't happening in fucking WA, was it? It's like the biggest <laughs> kangaroo in the Southern Hemisphere. Well, it's probably the world. And importantly, we held on to green seats as well. Yeah, yeah, that mm. was a thing. So like we've had nothing yeah, rolled over. Like, but not on, not only like you know the Greens, we know them, we love them. You've you've seen them, mm. you've heard about this. But the fucking there are now five openly socialist members of local councils across Melbourne voted in. Um, that's that to me is the most heartening thing because yeah. it wasn't like it wasn't the old sort of like oh these bloody these watermelons green on the outside red on the inside. These were people. It's like socialism. I, I am right. I am a socialist and, and local council is like, okay, um, let's have a go. I do love good socialists because the Greens are always like, oh, we can appeal to everyone. We're a bit fluffy. We're in koalas and trees and stuff. The socialists are always like, it's fucking politics. <laughs> Vote for us or people <laughs> will <laughs> die. It won't be us because the system's broken. They always have black and white posters. They're like, I'm very serious about this. Good on them. Yeah. I- I gotta say, that about. is just sort of just playing to a general stereotype rather than a sort of real. <laughs> I am. I know, know some pretty hardcore greens, and I know some socialists who are like, "I'm more about communities." Like- but it's still like, <laughs> if you vote for the socialists, you're voting for socialists, and you know you're voting for socialists, and I yeah. think that's cool. Kath Larkin, who was running for um, Lord Mayor in Melbourne City, uh, she had a guy who had an A cab shirt. On her poster, which no, I really I respect. Love that. I, I, I didn't love to see that. Put an A cab in the in the <laughs> campaign materials, just right uh, on the card. Uh, did, yeah. Awesome. yeah, did she? It, win? It's the moving. No, she didn't. <laughs> but um, it's, but but it's important that um people do run because depending on where they land, um they get money for next year. So for the next election, they yeah. get funding and representation. So we'll get that guy a hoodie important. next time. Yeah. So your vote is not wasted in that way. Um, and I do like, as, as you were saying, like it's really good to see people who are open socialists um, running for local elections because it's that moving of the Overton window where, mm-hmm. where, where like, you know, people are like, you know, liberals are always afraid of being seen as socialist mm. by the right wing. But finally we have people who are like, so yeah, what? They get votes. I for one can't wait for the A cab party. <laughs> <laughs> it was um it was interesting. I was on um Anthony Janot's soon to be released podcast. I don't know when it's coming out, but we will link it when it does. Um, where I was talking with him and someone from the UK Greens. She was like a young Greens member, and then she ran for local council twenty eighteen. And talking to her about it, I it, it was fascinating when she sort of said that what seems to happen in local council elections is that people get much more extreme and honest with their votes. So federally, mm. we see it here. Like people are just like, Ooh, I'm worried about the Liberal Party getting in. I'm going to vote mm. Labor and I can't really risk it. And they control things. And then you go down to the state level and the Greens pick up a few more seats because it's like, yeah, I can see the Greens doing some good and maybe I'll dabble with some left-wing politics. And then you get to local elections and it's just full bore fucking like, socialism, fucking yeah. And on the other side, it's libertarians <laughs> like, no fucking, everything's, everything's for sale. Let's go. Woo. And people just the fish and chip shop party. Yeah, exactly. Because people are just like, well, it's local council elections. I, it doesn't really matter. And so, and and this line, um, you know, for better or worse, local elections do matter. But I think this is a better representation of the electorate. We know <laughs> we we say all oh, yeah. the fucking time. At least seventy percent of Australians want action on climate change, meaningful action on climate mm. change, and we don't see that federally. And I think it's because politics in this country and the media in this country have made us think that we only have the two options and anything else is going to be too dangerous. Mm. Local council, yeah. as soon as the gloves are off and there's no risk, people are just like, yeah, fuck them. Yeah, I'm voting Greens. Yeah, I'm voting Socialist. Of course I am. Which is... Which I is also think... 
I also think it's it, it is people starting to pay attention to the power of local councils in ability to affect changes around them. So it's yeah, seeing the kind sure. of things like developers getting into local council and uh, fucking it all up for public infrastructure, public architecture. Yeah. Um, and, you know, new apartments coming up with that, like, you know, a bad infrastructure and bad placement. And they're like, how can I change this? How is this possible? Of course, it's getting into local council. And you can see it in the increase in Green's participation in local council too. Like people are starting to take that very seriously. And um, to give some context to people who don't normally pay to attention to local council elections, generally when you receive your ballot in Victoria, uh, if you're doing mail-in voting, you also get a brochure which describes each candidate, like it has a statement from each candidate. Um, no mention necessarily of the parties, just what their platform is. And which is like, you know, you, you have to sort of take the initiative to research to see who these candidates are. And my favourite thing about local council elections is basically Googling a name and it comes up with all their crimes, all their branch stacking, <laughs> every, single the every single bizarre thing that they've ever been involved in. Um, yeah, one of the local candidates in my electorate, in my ward, um, he got into trouble at the last election because he was harassing the children of one of the other candidates. Like, oh, God. Oh. Uh, uh, and Darren Lyons, who uh, ran um, in Ballarat, he ran like a Perez Hilton ripoff blog in the 2000s. Like, who are these people? It's great. <laughs> That's fucking Darren cool. Lyons. Oh, Darren Lyons Geelong. He has a, a, a freaking um, synthetic six pack. Yes, that guy. Oh, is that the guy from Big Bang? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he had a pink mohawk. Oh, fuck. <laughs> he was the mayor of Geelong for <laughs> Yonks. Geelong, yes. That's right. Sorry. God damn Just it, that dude. Like that th so these are the kind of guys these are the kind of cranks that you're used to in local government. But now it seems like it's like the tide is turning where we're like, okay, maybe we don't really want cranks. Maybe we want like people who are actually interested in doing local government. There's, but you still, still you still have cranks, you though. still have to have an element of crazy to be involved in local government. And I respect that. That's, <laughs> that's I think why the the Labour Party because there's a lot of Labour candidates, but they're very rarely actually endorsed by Labour. And I think it's because a lot of the Labour candidates that sit up are like pretty cooked units across the board. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just like I'm the Labour candidate and you look up the Labour site and they're like oh, I mean he's a Labour member <laughs> <laughs> anyway everyone should run for local council I reckon everyone start a podcast run for council yeah let's do it in a nice little bit of news uh, Victoria is building a big battery how big you ask? Oh, yeah. Turns out this is going to be the biggest battery in the Southern Hemisphere. Suck shit, Peru. We did it. Yeah. yeah Peru. <laughs> Yet again. That's, that's the, the how big you ask? <laughs> 300 megawatts. That's ah, the answer. Okay, that's a much more specific. Yeah, yep, that's, that's pretty yep. big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to include this story mainly because it's it's good. We do need batteries. They're useful. <laughs> but also, I love every single time a news article tries to big note Australia in some way by saying it's the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere. The Southern yeah. Hemisphere has been ravaged by colonialism and imperialism for fucking centuries. There's a reason why Australia trumps the Southern Hemisphere. It's not special. Yeah. It should remind you that the Southern Hemisphere has been exploited by the Northern Hemisphere for fucking millennia. But I was like, yeah, Let's we be honest, did it. It's, it's us and Brazil, right? I mean, those yeah. are the big players. Essentially, yeah. Like, it's, it's, I mean, look, it is good. It's going to be out down uh, near Geelong again. Um, and that's cool, I guess. But, like, 
just just, just say it's good and big. It doesn't have to be the southern hemisphere's anything. Also, the southern hemisphere is mainly sure. ocean. Like we're not. And why are we competing with the <laughs> Pacific Ocean? It's also one of those things where yeah, it's it's such a weak accolade that it's. Whenever you say it, everyone's like, oh, so you didn't really have anything good, <laughs> yeah, did you? Yeah. It's like, you know, I don't know, p- people's choice or, or you know, <laughs> participation. Or, oh, I got a participation award. Yeah, it's popular You're like, vote. okay, so you're wasting all of our time telling us about it, aren't you? <laughs> what, the Democratic Republic of Congo didn't have a big <laughs> yeah. battery? Maybe they did it in the north of the Democratic Republic of Congo, but you've ruled that out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good news, everyone. Adani's gone. We don't have to worry about Adani anymore. The Stop Yay. Adani campaign has won. <laughs> Hell Adani yeah. has been stopped. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now it's the Stop Bravis campaign. Because the way <laughs> we stopped them is Adani has re-bravis, rebranded. Rebravist. Yeah. <laughs> they've rebravised. Yeah, the coal mine's still there. Uh, nothing has changed, but they've spent a lot of money, presumably. Uh, I don't know about coal mine. Resources mine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's no longer coal. Adani um, is now Bravis. Coal is now resource. And neither natural of them fuel. have any problems. <laughs> this is... Uh, this really pisses me off. Actually, no, we should talk about how dumb the name is first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Adani rebranded to Bravis, which sounds like a big, strong name. Bravis. Probably yeah. Latin for brave. Courage. Turns out, mm-hmm. a quick Google search that literally... Everyone else did, except for the people Adani hired to make the name change for them, found out that it's essentially Latin for shit cunt. Like, it's a crooked mercenary. (laughs) It's an untrustworthy individual. It's a craven, malicious, bad faith actor. And Adani was just like, yeah, and Adani were like, hmm, how can we rebrand our tarnished image to get back in the good graces of everyone? Mm -hmm. I know. (laughs) We'll hire an absolute (laughs) dog shit marketing company that doesn't do the bare minimum. We did more than this marketing company. If you've ever gone to our Twitter, our banner has this facetious little podcasters at Solidaritas because we started this and we were like, Haha, everyone should have a podcast. Hell yeah. Let's have a, have a motto for it. And we Googled what that would be in Latin and it was shit. And so we were just like, oh, well, let's just make yeah, up a Latin sound sounding good. word it and it's heaps better. Latin didn't even have a word for podcast. <laughs> it was oh, fucking yeah. ridiculous. So we had to make it up. And we st- and it's worked out better for us than Adani, the multi-billion dollar fucking coal mining company. I really like that sentence. It's worked out better than Adani, <laughs> the multi-billion. <laughs> oh, no, that sounds like things are going good for them, actually. Morally. It is our most Hogwarts-esque bit that we do. <laughs> just having a Latin motto for our podcast. We don't send out podcast via Al, so there's not a lot of competition for our most Hogwarts bit. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that we should point out as well, this is not even the first time that this has happened in Australia, that someone has had to rebrand because they have such a bad reputation in Australia. So in 2015, um, the detention centre operator Transfield, uh, they operate Manus Island and Nauru, um, they had to ask their shareholders to approve a change in their name to Broad Spectrum because their mm-hmm. founding family withdrew permission to use the Transfield brand. <laughs> it, it, it had gotten such bad publicity because everyone knew that Transfield were the de- detention centre operators and had boycotted anything to do with Transfield, including security, um, mm. that they had to rebrand in an attempt to be seen as, oh, yeah, we're just Broad Spectrum now. That's a really happy, cheerful name. Yeah, we're still running gulags overseas. The name to me sounds like someone like accidentally left in like the mind map and they sent that off to the designers. 
And so it was like, we want to be a broad spectrum company that covers a lot of bunch of stuff, but the broad spectrum was underlined. And so someone was just like, oh, well, that's the name then, isn't it? Like it's, it's, well, it's you know deliberately what? not, it's deliberately hiding what they do. And companies do this all the yeah. fucking time. And, and Bravis is exactly the same. You know what the word broad spectrum makes me think of is antibiotics and pesticide. Like that's <laughs> Very what wholesome. that name is most scientific. With, is broad spectrum antibiotics. Yeah, man, same. Poisons, uh, I'm just if you will. imagining like electrical signals and stuff. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't this... have a problem with the name broad spectrum. Yeah, no, no, me neither. I, I, me I neither. It's, it's drawing too... a bit of a long bow to be like, <laughs> broad spectrum, which is Latin for. <laughs> <laughs> But this 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 really pisses me off because this is the kind of thing that happens way too much is you get some shitty company like Adani, which destroys their own reputation because they're doing a horrible thing. They're trying to kill us all and rip us off in the process. Um, and everyone goes, oh, hey, Adani, everybody hates you. Nobody wants to invest in you. You can't even get a decent marketing company you can only hire grifters who also hate you but want your money how can you redeem yourselves should you maybe stop trying to kill the world no <laughs> let's just change the name let's just do some marketing smoke and mirrors and i i kind of i kind of want to pull back and go big picture as i like to do because this is all right this is the entire problem with everything is it's <laughs> <laughs> let's lay it out like <laughs> gonna go out on a limb this is the whole let's problem with everything yep <laughs> Is it's all marketing now. Everything is marketing. Like, Australia is run by this fucking marketing guy. And the solution to everything is not, oh, people don't like this thing. Oh, this thing is bad. Let's not change the thing. Let's not do something different. Let's figure out how to market it to them. Or let's yeah. change the name so it seems nicer. Instead of, instead of oh, what, what people hate the Melbourne Cup... Because you're killing horses. Well, let's just uh, change the word killing horses to um, ethical uh, high-speed horse euthanasia. Or, <laughs> and and we're, we're trying to fix this world. And most people are out here wanting to live in a better world, really want to make things better. But the solution we're presented with often is, oh, you just have to make the right choices. You just have to buy smart, be ethical, make the right decisions. That's a terrible suggestion because working specifically against that urge is the whole marketing industry. They don't want you to be able to make informed decisions. Yeah. They want to confuse you. They want to play this little shell game. So you go, oh, how can I be good for the world? Let's buy my, my Oatly oat milk. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's vegan. It's not, it's not hurting cows. It's nice. It's a little company. Oatly. No, they're now owned by Blackstone Investment <laughs> who... <laughs> Fund the Republicans and oil and shit like that. But they wouldn't tell you that because they've kept your brown paper packaging. You know, Mrs. Max Pies is probably owned by, wait, 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 wait. I don't know, BHP, <laughs> no. nuclear weapons. What happened to Mrs. Mac? Corporation. <laughs> what did they do to Mrs. Mac? <laughs> I don't know. That's a bad example. Mrs. Mac may or may they not bagged still and be tagged good. her I'm 20 years it. ago. She's dead. Yeah. This marketing, it, talking about marketing, this might be a good point to bring up that in conjunction with announcing the new name, uh, they also announced, uh, Adani, formerly Adani, now Bravis, also announced that they are the new jumper sponsors for the North <laughs> Queensland Cowboys, uh, the beloved rugby team, uh, rugby league team for Queensland. So you may oh. remember from Jock Corner last week um, how I talked about how players feel – restricted in their ability to talk about 
jumper sponsors, ground sponsors, who their um, the the head of their sport uh, chooses to take money from. This is a classic example of mm. where politics comes into sports. Um, and when people say don't talk about politics, let's just play sport. That can't happen when you're taking money from people who are destroying the planet, like yeah. Bravas. And the unanimous response when the North Queensland Cowboys posted this new jumper with Bravas on this, literally on their sleeve, was mm. what the fuck are you doing? We don't want it's this. It's reputation laundering. Exactly. Nobody wanted this. And it's that whole thing of holding community things hostage by saying, we're giving you money. Well, you know, it, it, we're doing this great thing by supporting a, a, a beloved team. And if you don't lo- like us being there, well, I guess we'll just take our money away. So, Evie, I've actually, I've got a like genuine question because I do not follow the like ins and outs of sports and whatnot. But what mm-hmm. what are likely to be the repercussions of like for an individual player or everyone on the team, if they were to like run out onto the field with like masking tape over that logo? Like if, if a player actually took a stand <laughs> like that, what happens? Oh. I honestly don't know. I've never seen that particular sort of stance in sports before. I know, like, I spoke last week about Joe Danaher. I guess so. <laughs> I, I think it's more just they haven't thought about, like, what they could do. Because that would be the most forbidden thing would be pushing back against your sponsor. Yeah. So, like, Joe, mm. Joe Danaher is speaking out about, you know, Rio Tinto and BHP involvement in the AFL started that conversation. And players can start that conversation. A great thing would be players saying, no, we don't want to go out with this jersey. Unfortunately, they are in Queensland which does have, like, you know, quite a bit of FIFO and um, local uh, employment in mining industry. Um, That being said, I think there is a lot of pushback that could be utilised because people don't want to have to be held hostage by sponsors. And and there are things now like Sleeping Giants Australia who – push back against mm, this kind mm. of thing not just spo- not just you know advertisements on programs like sky but also sponsors you know what we do um, you know what i just thought of what we fucking do is we start a campaign to make sure the north queensland cowboys run out onto the field topless all of them. <laughs> yeah my big I'm topless sure sweaty like to boys taking a stand against coal let's fucking I would go absolutely support this <laughs> yeah i, I knew I you would <laughs> yes <sighs> I do love Big the rugby league boys boy. against coal. <laughs> yeah, oily boys against coal. The only oil <laughs> I like is banana. <laughs> what? Coconut? The banana banana's the brand coconut oil is that. Look, That's let's let's grease brand. up our boys and send them out there. <laughs> yeah, so I'd like I figured that considering the response to the North Queensland Cowboys, I do think that there is very much grounds for an actual boycott or at least pushing back. But I don't know how that Sweaty could, boycott. I, I don't know how what form that would take just simply because it hasn't happened in Australia before. But for something as important to protest as Adani, where people in Adani's home country in India are protesting mm. their, their, you know, the, the mine going ahead in Australia, there's people in Goa who are like literally blocking the train tracks to where the coal will be delivered. Um, if if that level of protest is happening, I don't see why people can't protest in Queensland against them being a jumper sponsor. It seems like a relatively small thing on the scale of protests you could take. True. I I want to finish off this segment by saying I have just looked it up and Mrs. Max Pies does still appear to be a family-owned Australian yes! food company. <laughs> yeah. I can't find any dirt on them, so if you have some dirt on them, oh, let us know. But, she's probably a racist. But I'm going to say... 
they seem they seem to be pretty above board and they are not in with big oil. So good job, Mrs. Max. So owner of acid stained bathtub Steve Bannon <laughs> this week um, decided to call for the beheading of Dr. Fauci, who is the chief medical officer in the US, and was promptly banned by Twitter and YouTube. Uh, for saying these statements, as you would imagine, not the yeah. best kind of statement to make from a white supremacist former advisor to the White House. Um, this but is better late than never with the banning. Yeah, exactly. It's finally happened a day after the election um, and better late than never. Um, this is particularly interesting on a local plane because Australians simply love to interview Steve Bannon. <laughs> we can't get enough get of it. Get him on the show. Yeah. Like, l- let's just get him on as a guest on a podcast. That friend seems like of, a great idea. Friend of the show, Steve. We're Australian. <laughs> let's ask him to, to explain his views to people who might be on board with that. This happened um, a few times over the last few years. He came to, he came to Australia and Sarah Ferguson on the ABC from Four Corners uh, interviewed him and at the time – had vociferously defended her interview of him, uh, saying it's our job to understand his point of view and to mm-hmm. question him. A- and she very, very strenuously denied that deplatforming was the answer because they had to hear, repeating for the hundredth time, both wow. sides of the story. It's gross. It, it's so it, – I can't believe that we're in 2020 and the number of times we've had, you know, people – Constantly ten- telling the ABC, both sides of the story doesn't mean that you platform a literal white supremacist, someone who's yeah. talking about the great replacement theory. And yet here we are. Yeah, like our job to understand is such a weak uh, excuse for getting him on the show. Like just you can email him <laughs> privately until you understand or you can talk to academics who study white supremacist right? stuff. You, there's so many people that you can talk to to understand where white supremacists are coming from. We understand stuff all the time. get him on your fucking show. It's like you incessantly have people on the news talking about terrorism or or sex crimes or horrible shit without getting on terrorists or sex criminals <laughs> to get their side of the story. Like you can understand something without having... A terrible person on your show. And the, the flip side of it as well is that they go like, you know, oh, it's our job to understand white supremacy. But it's like you never get, uh, you know, indigenous a, a, an people. anarchist on or yeah. an indigenous person Socialist. or a homeless person or, or, you know, any of these sort of other like, groups that are really, really important to understand. That we need to understand. Yeah. Yeah. We, you never get a literal communist on the ABC. <laughs> well, we understand communists already. They hate our freedoms. That's yeah. what's more, is there? So this has come up. Wrong. This has come up as a discussion point at the moment in the discourse because uh, people are drawing attention to the fact that while Steve Bannon is now finally banned from all these platforms, the ABC seems very ready and willing to give him a platform whenever he comes calling. The funny thing is, is that Sarah, in relitigating her decision to make this interview, uh, Sarah Ferguson actually admitted that the ABC called him. They initiated the mm. conversation to have that interview. So they didn't even have to platform him. They chose to. Mm. And 
Of yeah, co- I mean, that's the thing. They, 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 oh, we have to understand this like insane right-wing perspective and that's why Australian media is just constantly getting on just this rotating stable of yeah. white supremacists. We've got like Steve Bannon, Milo Yiannopoulos, Lauren Southern, Blair Cottrell, Fraser Anning, Pauline Hanson was a regular contributor on Sky News. Like, I mean, obviously Sky News particularly is just a fascist outlet, but th- this is a really common mm. thing in Australian media is getting white supremacists well, on. It's so common. Of like, we need to know what they have to say, but this is the thing. It's so, com- hell it's so common and so well known that Lauren Southern actually moved here to do it, to have it as a career yep. in Australia. Australia, what it's needs just, what, what you need to keep in path. mind? Yeah, what you need to keep in what you need to keep in mind is that Australia is the last bastion for these fucking people. When they get deplatformed and they start to lose influence all around Australia, they come to oh, sorry, when they lose influence all around the world, they come to Australia to revitalize and resuscitate their careers. We were the last place Milo Yiannopoulos had live shows before everything fucking mm-hmm. got rid of him and he had no more income and all the rest of it. Like the Australian media that- this week, last week, last month, for the last fucking three decades, have explicitly helped white nationalists and white supremacists get back on their fucking feet. Mm. Milo Yiannopoulos is no longer a fucking uh, person to think about anymore. Blair Cottrell, Fraser Anning, they're not in the discourse because they've been deplatformed. We don't need journalism journalists coming up constantly. It wasn't because we interviewed them We well. don't need journalists coming up constantly saying, oh, why don't we just get them back to like, you know, why don't we just air out their views and then we'll defeat them in the in the marketplace of ideas. It doesn't fucking work. There's some, there's some really illuminating fucking um, tweets that came out from another journalist who is of the mind that we should just just give these people a fucking megaphone. Catherine Murphy had this, um, mm. had this tweet. Uh, journalism is about resisting a retreat to enclaves. It's about getting people out of them and debating ideas in civil and rational mm. fashion. Yeah, why don't we debate? Steve them? Bannon, Milo Yiannopoulos, Lauren Southern, all of them are deliberately uncivil and irrational. That is their platform. You cannot debate them. All they need is to get their ideas out there. If you choke their access, they cannot propagate their views. And yet the fucking media in this country who are either... They are beholden to viewers. They are beholden to either capital or the proxy war against capital at the ABC and SBS. They have to just go, oh, what's going to be exciting? What's going to be the cool thing? I know a fucking white supremacist and we'll pretend, we'll sit there and stroke our chins and we'll pretend that we're having this rational and civil debate about things when you're not. You're just giving them a platform. And if you don't give them a platform, they fucking go away and we know they do. When was the last time you heard about Milo Yiannopoulos? Except for him fucking absolutely having a coke <laughs> <Right> breakdown. <now. laughs> well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But that's it. Like, oh, no. I wouldn't even know. But where we don't have him up. on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So all these tr- all these Trump cabinet people are all going to come to Australia <clears throat> and They're have a, a revitalized career sky. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's because Australia has this weird thing where we see ourselves as this shitty underdog. We're so desperate for like, oh, if if you've fallen out of faith with the US, come over here and we'll still think you're, you're shit hot because you can still be the biggest fascist in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although Bolsonaro is yeah. pretty big. Yeah. Maybe he's dead, I haven't checked. <laughs> and I, I just want to quickly mention the debate thing because every time a journalist or anybody says, oh, but we can debate this, you know, we, we can defeat these bad ideas through debate, that doesn't work it doesn't work it has been showed time and time again that you can't you can't like resolve these things with debates it didn't work for creationism 
it didn't work for climate change. Because in both of those situations, you had a lot of bad faith actors. And with creationism, maybe not so bad faith. Maybe people honestly do believe things. But you have, like, these these creationist kind of people up against, like, experts. You have these climate change deniers up against experts. A debate is a terrible way to to pull out the truth, to show one side is better. Because if you just rock up with a whole bunch of crazy bullshit, the other person can't rebut all of that effectively. If you're just a better speaker or more charming or have some good jokes or some some funny ways of talking or you just yell louder, you can defeat someone who's right in a debate. And also, the people who watch the debate... Yeah, it's rhetoric. The people who watch the debate go... Oh, I didn't know all of these, you know, climate denying talking points has given me some stuff to think yeah. about. They've won. They've that's yeah, yeah. what they wanted to achieve. It also legitimizes the point just by exactly. having the right. debate. We Absolutely. go, oh, both if, of these sides must have merit. If somebody was like, Hey, McLean, do you want to come on and, and debate whether computers are real or not? I'd yeah. be like, No, that's a stupid idea. Like, obviously everyone knows it. Um, Jim Malo, who we had on the show uh, a little while ago, who's really great, had a a really good Twitter rant about it. Um, He said, white journalists need to shut the fuck up about why they think it's okay to hand a megaphone to a fucking Nazi and ask literally any person of color how it feels to watch them weigh up the merits of debating someone who thinks they're subhuman. Yes, this this is the main point of it all. Like, I am so sick to death of constantly like this having this argument with journalists they know and they've been told so many mm. times this specific point it's like how do you think anyone who's not white feels about this debate being had and so they know now at this point they just don't care yeah there's, they're just looking for content there's nothing civil yeah. and rational about replacement theory or phrenology it is it is an absolutely absurd foundation to start your argument from and you sh- and I think these these journalists should feel fucking shameful. They should feel ashamed of themselves, and they should sleep poorly at night, knowing that they bothered to try to think of a, a a reasonable excuse to have someone like fucking Steve Bannon on their platform. It's disgusting behavior. It's absolutely not something to equiv- equivocate. It is fucked behavior. If you have a debate about white supremacy, you are saying white supremacy is up exactly. for debate. Maybe mm-hmm. it's good. Like yeah. by definition, you're saying it's up for debate. It's not. It's wrong. Locally speaking, this leads to things like Annabelle Crabb doing segments with Scott Morrison for uh, the kitchen cabinet. You can know, like happy puff little pieces where no one ever gets questioned. No one ever gets any really hard sort of points put in front of them. But, you know, it's it's just a little bit of fluff. Oh, well, we need to know who he is as a man, though, Evie. <laughs> I'll tell you who he is as a man. He is condemned repeatedly by the United Nations for violation of human rights. Mm-hmm. I don't really give a shit whether he's nice. Yeah. Sounds like he's bad. I think that that, that's, that that speaks to the erosion as well of, like, we the, the small things that we allow and that we continue to have debates about. Should we have debates about, you know, asylum seekers in detention? Should we have debates about what the, the UN condemning us? It gets us to a point where it's like, do we ha- should we have a debate about Steve Bannon and his white replacement theory and, and, and the fact that he is literally going to countries all around the world and helping fascist dictators get elected through democracy? Should we talk about that? It starts at the small level. Level of shit. It starts when I mean, we've seen it with the American election. Now, all of a sudden, now right-wing news outlets are going like, "Oh, this Trump. I hope he acts civilly. We should hold him to account." So, like, where the fuck were you four years ago? And as soon as you have the debate, you've already lost. It's like every 
parent will tell you that if your kid says, I want a chocolate cake, and you say no, and then your kid says, well, let's have a debate about this, you don't say, okay, this oh, is, that's exactly. fair. Like, you give me your reasons, I'll give you my... No, you're never going to win this that. This is what McLean just said. What <laughs> McLean just said that was 100% right. If you debate them, you are saying it's up for debate. The white nationalists yeah. and supremacists do not care about the debate. All they want is legitimacy. You are giving mm-hmm. them the only thing they want. The, 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 the middle of it, the, the actual conversation does not matter. All they are after is that veneer of acceptability of their views. Every single one of the journalists yeah. that has platformed him is a piece of shit. The job of the white supremacist who's getting on television there is not to convince that audience that white supremacy is good. Their goal is to convince the audience that white supremacy is up for debate. It's that it's an option, yeah. As the debater, as the journal who's putting them on, you are supporting that to the maximum extent of your ability. Good. Sorted. Um, And if you have any counter-arguments to that, uh, shut it. (laughs) (laughs) Not listening. Not up to debate. Luckily, though, we have an extremely strong and robust opposition party ready to stamp down horrible, dehumanising and oppressive policy wherever it rears its ugly head. Um, Anthony Albanese, friend of the pod, local hero to all of us here at Not Good Enough, has come out again and just in leaps and bounds shown himself to be the strident, forward-thinking, progressive um, leader of the opposition that the um, that the country has needed since Kevin Rudd lost the election to um, to Tony Abbott. Um, he did a an, uh, an interview recently with the New Daily where they asked him some pretty softball questions about things that like. They asked him questions that are very much that underarm, like, here you go, here's your opportunity for a soundbite, and huh, giving him the opportunity <laughs> We're gonna miss. to he to it. take a stand. And he, like, he turned away. It was one of those things where he was looking at, like, some other people playing a different sport, and the ball, like, bounced off of his head, and he turned around and was like, <laughs> Yeah, the T-ball came at him too fast. Just a really accurate description of my entire primary school sports career. <laughs> But now, guess who's got a podcast? <laughs> yeah, you weren't playing that at a national level, McLean. Anthony Albanese was asked by the New Daily about the job seeker welfare payments and how they need to be higher and why the Labour Party haven't given a hard figure to what they want it to be. As you, if, you, if you've listened to the pod before, pretty much every episode, we rant about the fact that the Labour Party will come out and say, welfare payments, they need to be higher. And people go what should they be? And they go, yes, higher. I was like, yes, but what number do you want them to be? And they go, exactly. It should be higher than what it is. Or will you even stand by that and fight them on it kind of exactly. thing? Exactly. And so the, the New Daily asked Anthony Albanese, why aren't you giving us a hard figure? And he said that they want to give the Liberal Party space to lock in a long-term increase. The quote is, on a range of policy issues... Us announcing something that we can't implement before the election doesn't advance the change. When asked why, he gave a blunt answer. Because we want it to happen. Coming out with a rate might make people feel good, but we want the government to actually move on this, so we've tried to give them the space to do so. So Anthony Anthony Albanese just texted Scott Morrison and is like, "Are you are you in the mental capacity and space to receive news like a, a new start increase?" <laughs> it, you're the opposition leader. I am losing my fucking mind over this yeah. every fucking week. I'm just. 
begging this chinless simp to just take one principled stand on one fucking thing. How hard could it be? He did take a principled stand this week, actually. I'll have you know. (laughs) He... He sent a very strongly worded letter to Scott Morrison telling him to decide whether to congratulate Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, what does yeah, it mean? To and, give and, to, and to condemn Donald Trump. Yeah, like really great moves there. It's, it's really good to see our opposition leader taking a stand on the things that matter. <laughs> like whether we have like a new US president or not. Like what the fuck? What does it mean to give the government space? Can someone tell me, just let, let's let the most fair and charitable All response right. we can give. What could the opposition party actually mean by saying they want to give the government space to get something Mitch, through. Mitch, 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 Mitch. When you're in a fight with someone, yeah. you know when you're in a fight with someone and you have them like backed into a <laughs> yep. corner, classically the weakest possible yep. position for you to be, oh no, I've got them backed into a corner. Mm-hmm. Let them have some space so mm-hmm. that you can keep fighting, mate. <laughs> you don't want your opponent backed into a corner. That's terrible. You've got to let them tire themselves out by punching you. <laughs> like, for it, it's ridiculous because... If you compare this to any effective opposition on anything, like give give the Liberal Party their due, they are a very effective opposition because they do not let up on anything at any point. Right. The Labor Party says, oh, we're going to have sandwiches for lunch. The Liberal Party says, that is communism <laughs> and we will bloody just, oh, we're going to burn this we're country gonna down. We're going to cut the ABC over this. You just fucking wait. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't give them an inch no. and it's effective. They keep fucking winning government yeah. and getting all these horrible things done. They're doing bad stuff, but they are an effective opposition. And the Labor gets in government and they go, I guess we don't really believe in anything. And the things that we do believe in, we don't believe in that much. You know what? We kind of hope you'll do the right thing. Let's just... It's its the secret. They're trying to do the secret. <laughs> They're trying to put good energy out into the universe Hope for stuff. Anthony Albanese probably has a vision board somewhere with all the policies he wants, and he's hoping that that will just uh, just emerge from the opposition. I, I really reckon if a picture of Anthony Albanese's vision board with policies <laughs> on it leaked, he would disavow that immediately. <laughs> so oh, no, 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 would. no, no. We didn't mean any of that. There's just like a photo of a, a poor person smiling. Oh, I, that's not a commitment, though. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in government. We'll, we're going to let you make the choices. Where we've got some thoughts, but we'll keep them to ourselves. Just sending a personal letter to Scott. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I I didn't. I forgot. I wasn't the government, and we never will be. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's also he's also like there was a an excerpt from that article saying like he said it was another example where Labor was quote not going to be the government. It's no shit. Like not with this fucking <sighs> yeah. attitude. I just this 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 article like untethered me from reality, from reality. I anyone who has listened to the, maybe the last ten episodes knows that I have just very very strong feelings about Anthony Albanese. <laughs> But this one was just, this was the next level of him sort of Mm. saying, like, not only will I not be pinned down onto any sort of, like, policy, I'm also not going to be pinned down on why I'm doing that, just in case. I I can't give you anything. The best I can come up with is we want to give the government space to actually do something. We... 
But you're the opposition just, party. You should oppose things and wedge them. That's the only thing that you can do. We had, like, we've sat in those meetings, McLean, with fucking Jed Kearney, and we're going, what do you do day to day? You're in opposition. Why should we keep voting for you? What can you do? And she says, oh, well, you know, we can put pressure on the government and we can, we can, you know, mm. until we win, we can, like, lobby and we can we can try to exert some it's influence yeah, to push What them. does that pressure look like? What, what does pressure on the government entail if you're giving them space? Yeah, that, which is the opposite of pressure. Well, this is the thing: is that they have, they they want to save their political capital for when they can put pressure on the government in either a way that will not matter, so they can pretend to put up a fight for something that's always going to go through because they've got cross bench support, or they want to do it for something that will only affect them, not both parties. There's another story which we we're not even probably going to get to fucking cover this week, where both Labor and Liberal have voted together to weaken political donation laws. That's where the truth of this matter is. The reason why Anthony Albanese isn't doing shit is because the Labor Party are in lockstep with the Liberal Party. He wants to give the government mm, yep. space to do things because they want the same results. Anthony Albanese is just locked into this horrible position where he has to pretend he doesn't want to pretend that they have to get the right result. He has to pretend to pretend to pretend to not want the right result. And it's just, it's clearly doing his fucking head in and it's doing my head in as well. I am folding inside out watching this man just not take any stand whatsoever. It is mind-blowing. It really makes you miss the days of, like, the Vera political strongmen like Bill Shorten. (laughs) (laughs) Australia's Bernie Sanders, Bill Shorten. Right? I feel like at this point, I forget, I honestly forget Anthony Albanese is a political actor at all, let alone the leader of the opposition. We see more from Kevin Rudd at the moment. We see more from Joel Fitzgibbon. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Like... Anthony Albanese won't even back massively political things like Murdoch is bad. But see, like, you know, when Australia has its, like, you know, national pastime of rolling political leaders, I can't think of anyone who could possibly replace Albanese, though. Like, there's no what one mean, in in the Labor Party. No one more spineless. Yeah. You, there's, is well, this the- like a riddle where you're like, oh, you can't think of no one? <laughs> <laughs> How do you fill a hole? Yeah. H- how do you backstab something that's not actually there? That's yeah. got no spine. <laughs> I, I think that I think that you've really hit it though with this. This they agree on the same things. Like the mm. reason that like uh, Mr. Albanese, why won't you give a hard answer of like how much job seeker should be? And Albanese's like, oh well, I want to give the government space. And we're sitting here on the podcast being like, what does that mean? What does that mean to give the government space mm. to the opposition? And the answer is, of course it doesn't mean anything because that's not the real answer. It says, oh, he gave this blunt answer because we want it to happen. That's not the blunt answer. The blunt answer is because Serena Russo is a major donor of the Labour Party as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have an opposition party. That's the straight answer to yeah. it. We just have two government parties. Well, I mean, if you if you ask, you know, members of the Labour Party, we we do have an opposition party. They're the Greens and they're the major threat to our like duo major party, <laughs> like the osmosis has happened between the two like the, the main political party and they've just broken off into two L-word parties. Yeah. And they're fighting against the Greens. It's it's like where Shell has their renewable energy department. They're not working in opposition to the oil department. They're there to kind of justify the oil department. <laughs> if Shell actually believed in renewable energy, they wouldn't be fighting against it that hard. Uh, the actual opposition to Shell is, you know, your scrappy little extinction rebellion-y, chaining themselves to a Adani train tracks, small towns building yeah. wind power kind of situation. Well, what a depressing note to end on.
<laughs> well, we can always end up with the National Day of Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a new thing that someone has decided that Australia has now is a National Day of Thanks. We didn't have one. Now we have one. I don't know where this came from. Where do holidays come from? I'll tell you where they fucking come from. They come from <laughs> a corporate bloody deal between News Corp, Woolworths, and the government. Because they've said, we've got a new thing to do on Australia Day. And you know, you know Australia Day? The thing vast sectors of the population vehemently despise. The thing that has become a political football... We're going to add some more stuff on that. It's a day of thanks. Yeah, you can't. It's where it. we can, it's where we can give just like a really meaningless, hollow gesture to to nurses and firefighters and stuff instead of paying them more, or instead <laughs> of following up any of the recommendations of the Royal Commission, or you know, instead of having decent coronavirus anything's, we're going to do a day of thanks in much the same way that Britain had their clap for the NHS, which was <laughs> hollow and meaningless and and actively despised by healthcare workers. We're having a day of thanks um, on Australia Day. And this is a kind of a run by Woolworths and News Corp. Great. Um, and it's it's hilarious because, okay, there's just, oh, there's so much here. I love it. It's like a little kinder surprise where on the outside, <laughs> I'm like, this is trash. And on the inside, you're like, wow, there's more trash in here. They've packed it so tightly. <laughs> I'm choking on this trash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it, it means that all of the News Corp papers are running these hilarious stories. That they've pretended have come from elsewhere. Like, <laughs> this is in the Daily Telegraph. PM announces National Day of Thanks for Pandemic Heroes. <gasps> what? A National Day of Thanks will be held next year? This is a thing that someone sent us. This is a news story we're just hearing about for the first time. No, they invented it. News Corp came up <laughs> with this. Uh, we got a letter from exclusive. N Corp telling us about this amazing... <laughs> So it's literally a co-sponsored holiday to thank the carers. Yeah. I, I, I will say that Scott Morrison did miss out on a trick here because when the UK does this kind of stuff, they love alliteration for some reason. So it's like they they, they wanted a campaign for the Big Ben to bong for Brexit. And, <laughs> and Fuck British people. Oh my God. Fucking goddammit. <laughs> country. And so for the NHS one, they wanted to clap for the carers. Uh, so like wh- where's... <laughs> Bloody really missed out on the branding here. And then you get to the bottom of these news called puff pieces. And you're like, okay, this is just a puff piece. But then it's like, oh, no, actually, here's an entry form. Oh, okay, it's it's run by News Corp. Oh, it's the News Corp Terms and Conditions, uh, where you can enter, like, your nominee for a person you'd like to thank and, and their name and email and postcode and contact. And then you have a look at the Terms of Conditions. There's 45 of them. Oh, you can go in the nominee to win a, a $200 Woolworths supermarket gift uh, card. Okay, that's pretty generous. Oh, Woolworths gosh. is giving out less than $10,000 <laughs> of prizes in total. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a small amount of money for an Australia-wide competition. Okay, whatever, moving on. Oh, oh, okay, News Corp can now use your information that you've given them for advertising <laughs> and passing on to every. Oh, and, of course, the the all of the contact details of the person you've just sent in is now... <laughs> Also, the property of News Corp. <laughs> huh. This sounds like they just figured out a really good way to get everyone's fucking contact information um, while doing some advertisements for Woolworths. Nah, man. Fucking Scott Morrison has declared that Australia Day 2021 will be a national day of subscribe to the News Corp newsletter. <laughs> right? <laughs> I have a prediction to make for the National Day of Thanks next year. Uh, for anyone yes. who gets nominated, a there is definitely, well, there's definitely going to be a special <laughs> range of Ushis. 
Oh, oh my god! Oh, little Anzac Ushis and little oh. Stu- yeah. There's gonna be like a nurse little Ushi. Twiggy Forest Ushi. It's gonna be, it's, there's gonna be a little Ushi of that guy without a shirt, but the Australian flag cape with that like, that horrible snarl on his face. He's about to punch someone from the yeah. Cronulla riots. It'll be a little Ushi of that guy. <laughs> oh, little coronavirus oh. Ushi. Little stress but, uh, ball. a little pokey machine Ushi from Woolworths. <laughs> It's just like like this year. Hey, remember that time before um, the coronavirus pandemic when some farmer uh, was talking about how the Ushis bought him personal pain that people weren't buying it to raise money for, like for uh, water to be transported to his farm, and then he killed uh, an Ushi on live TV. Oh yeah, he cut it up with scissors. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. So now he's going to cut up a nurse Ushi on live TV. That guy was legit good. <laughs> and I feel a little bit bad for bringing this whole thing up because I think it is just like a tactical missile to piss off it's the left. It's so cynical. Yeah. Um, because everyone is obviously right now being like, Woolworths, what the fuck? <laughs> like Woolworths has decided now is the time. How can we How can we endear ourselves to the population? You know what people friggin' love right now is Murdoch and Australia Day. Oh, and maybe <laughs> coronavirus. What, you couldn't get asbestos in there as well? <laughs> <laughs> I really like that it's Woolworths, but like people being like, Woolworths, what are you doing? <laughs> I really expected better from you I after. You and then you like look down at the paper and you're like, oh yeah, trying to force your workers to work in uh, coronavirus infected warehouses and flips back a couple of pages and, oh, deriving about a third of your revenue from pokey. <laughs> uh, look, mm. Woolworths, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I should... <laughs> but partnering with News Corp, uh, I draw the line. <laughs> nah, we should have him on the pod to discuss it, civilly and rationally. Yeah. Have Woolworths on the pod. Yeah, let's get the CEO of Woolworths on. <laughs> just the hey corporation man. Woolworths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, let's just get a fucking, like, some poor, like, shelf stacker, a 16-year-old to come on. Hey, what's going on at Woolworths? What are you doing? <laughs> Oh, they would go so hard. It would be actually, awesome. Maybe we should. <laughs> that would actually be a good pod. Yeah. We'd be like, hey, we've got 100%. a 16-year-old self sacker from Woolworths. What do you reckon they're like? We're going to burn this fucking corporation <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> Industrial actions this week. The Canberra garbage truck drivers are on strike. Yay. They were. It's great to hear it. We, we got tagged in for this news. This, this is cool. We talk about strikes enough that somebody was like, hey, not good pod. Have you noticed that the Canberra garbage truck drivers are striking? Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. We have now. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was just a neat shout out to the garbage truck drivers who are striking for just better pay and conditions. Uh, we've sort of passed the point where people are striking to avoid working in coronavirus infested uh, workplaces. And now mm. they just want better pay and better leave and that sort of thing. As they bloody uh, so, should. Shout out in solidarity to the Canberra garbage truck drivers. If your job and, isn't uh, good enough, go on strike. Yeah. And if you're a Canberra resident, here's an action this week. Uh, call up your local government and say, oh, this missed garbage truck collection was uh, really inconvenient. So can you make sure that uh, Suez, who's the contractors who employ the garbage truck workers for Canberra, uh, pay their workers properly so that doesn't happen again? Uh, put put a little pressure on. Right. Can we nationalise garbage trucks already? <laughs> well, no, we can't nationalise the garbage collection service, Lang. That needs to go to a contractor because what if the demand for garbage collection suddenly disappears? You need right. that flexibility. <laughs> oh, dear. But just also, like, who who in their right mind is going to fuck with the garbage truck drivers? Like, that's, that's like going up against the nurses' union. Don't bother. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? It's like the measure of how you can tell when people make fun of truck, like garbage truck drivers. It's like that is a real dickhead because they're doing it's an essential a, service. It's also like really simple rule of thumb. Who's someone you don't want to mess with? Big, strong guy with a truck 
and access to garbage. <laughs> <laughs> um, another shout out that I want to make just quick as well is Extinction Rebellion in uh, Hobart. Uh, clearly, they listened to the pod, which is great because when we did that story about people shouting at Scott Morrison, we said Scott Morrison should always be shouted at in public and he should be always <laughs> feeling uncomfortable whenever he, whenever he leaves one of his homes. And they did it. Extinction Rebellion went hey. down to, um, well, they, the people in Hobart went to where he was supposed to be giving a speech for the like state liberal um, party caucus annual who gives a shit anyway they went in there and some legend glued herself to the door glued just a single hand to the door and the photo in the Guardian's amazing because it's just like six cops being like oh come on come on and she's like no act now and they're like but come on but Skomo's gonna give his but yeah so they about 20 of them shouted him down and made his life uh, uncomfortable for a while and that's good Mm -hmm. so shout out to Extension Rebellion for that yep the Prime Minister should always be uncomfortable I think that should just be in the constitution I don't even care if they're a good prime minister A good prime minister should always be uncomfortable Yeah, 100% You only yeah. have to do it for four years and then you quit If you wanted an easy job, don't do the prime ministering A good prime minister shouldn't love his job Yeah, they should be trying to fix shit Yeah, Caesar the fucking <laughs> <laughs> Nero, what are you doing? Yeah <laughs> Solidaritas et podcasters <laughs> Um, we've got one last action sort of slash shout out thing, which is it is NADOC week this week. Usually they hold it in July, but it got pushed out to November because of COVID. And it's actually kind of, uh, magical because they basically, it's this week. They basically predicted when lockdown would end almost exactly. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, very convenient. Um, so NADOC week, effectively black history month in Australia. It's, 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 you know, celebration of indigenous arts and culture and achievements and stuff. Um, so there's a, a lot of uh, stuff going on. So the shout out is just like scope out NADOC week. Indigenous education in Australia is r- really, really bad for schools. I learned some bits of, you know, local trivia, but you know, my, my own knowledge of it's terrible. Um, so yeah, there's just all, all kinds of little events and stuff going on uh, around. I would say that the first step is if you don't know what land you live on, you should know that. Yeah. One good thing, one one thing that I found um, some people doing, and it it is that weird thing of like the the pre post fallacy of like things are things that are good also can look bad depending on like where we're at in progress. So this could seem condescending, but I also think it's a really good thing to do, and I think it's just very important to recognize where you live on and on whose land we are living and we have built like the current nation as it stands. When you send mail, if for whatever reason you're sending mail, um, find out where it's going to, like the, the actual name of the place, the traditional name, and put that on the envelope as well. It, it, it takes you a bit of extra time. It is important to know where you are. So instead of just saying like, oh, I'm mailing something to Thornbury, also put in like, you know, Thornbury, Coolin Nation. Like the, the, no one's going to get confused. Post, post office isn't going to get confused. Yeah, they know it where it is. Get it there. But it's, it's just important. We do live on... Indigenous land that was never ceded. You- right. I mean, yeah, that's the point is like, if you're saying like we live on Indigenous land, know the name of the land. Yeah. Um, and the, the actual action is um, pay the rent. So you, you just go to paytherent.net.au and you give money directly to Indigenous communities. You don't need to go via the government who then go via like a cashless welfare card or something terrible. Just go straight to them. Most effective way. It's great. 
thanks for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, we're on all the socials at Not Good Pod, or you can email us, notgoodpod at protonmail.com. We'd love to hear all your feedback and uh, tips on current industrial actions that are going down so we can give them a shout out and, uh, you know, uh, other. That's, that's the whole list. Um, tell your friends that the podcast is great and then they'll listen to it as well and then they can tell you thanks for the recommendation and mm-hmm. there's this great cycle that you set up. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll be better friends. Yeah, you can be like, oh, thanks for following my recommendation. I really appreciate being listened to. Yeah, know? let's get a beer. <laughs> so do we. We're a podcast. Bye. <laughs> oh, that's the thing is I can't believe we we made it the whole fucking episode. Well, we didn't make that. We made that whole fucking segment, including Lang saying we're really laboring this point for a long time. And no one said flogging a dead <laughs> And nobody <laughs> said beating <laughs> a dead horse. Because we're better people than that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm putting this bit after the episode. <laughs> Damn it. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present, and we recognise that sovereignty was never ceded.